Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. This morning, we are continuing our sermon series that will take us through the rest of the summer that we're calling Who's On First? Knowing God by Name. And in each week of this series, we're exploring another name or title that God reveals about Himself in the Bible, trying to know God more fully, to understand who He is, what we can expect from Him, what we can count on, and in return, what is expected of us in a relationship with Him. Each week as well, we have, you may have already got it on your way in, our Who's On First trading card. It's your reminder throughout the week of who God is, the name that we covered, and you know, also you're just going to want to collect the whole set because they're going to be so valuable someday. And uh, so if you need to get caught up on some of the previous weeks, there are extra cards in the Welcome Center. So if you did look at that card on the way in, you already know that we're going to be looking at the title or the name, The Lord Will Provide. In Hebrew, that's Jehovah Jireh, and it reminded me immediately of growing up. We used to go to a week-long Christian family summer camp, and at this camp, my grandfather, it was actually not just camp, it was like a family reunion for my mom's entire side of the family, and frequently my grandfather would be the, the worship leader, and I can just picture him because it was kind of like Elvis up there at times, because he would just do stuff like this, and you know, he was conducting the, everybody as they're singing, and he would dance, and he'd move even though his body was super rigid, and it was kind of awkward to watch, and, but there was this song, Jehovah Jireh, that every time it came on, people would get up out of their seats, they'd come to the aisles, they'd lock arm and shoulder, and they'd be you know, doing this kind of like moving kick line thing, and every time the song repeated, it would get faster and faster and faster until you couldn't sing anymore, you couldn't really breathe, and you couldn't really move, and so you'd just fall down and the song would end. But the words of this song and the tune I still have with me all these years later, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his grace is sufficient for me. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. Jehovah Jireh cares for me. Now, I still have that on board, but I got to tell you, at the time, I had no idea really what that name really meant, nor certainly not the context or the situation in which God revealed himself as the Lord will provide. And so we're going to look at that context, that story this morning. It comes out of Genesis chapter 22, and if you want to follow along on the screen, you can, but listen for God's Word speaking into our lives this morning. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here while the don- with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. 
As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous in the stars and the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray as we move into God's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word even when it is challenging. And we ask that your spirit would be the one leading us this morning, teaching us, guiding us allowing us to know you more deeply and to apply the word that you speak into our lives. It's in the name of Jesus that we trust and we pray. Amen. So I think this is one of the most amazing, challenging, confusing, beautiful stories in the entire Old Testament. But it even gets more remarkable when we consider it in its broader context. And that context, actually, if you were a few, with us a few weeks ago when we covered the name God Almighty, you find the context. Because in Genesis chapter 17, we found God revealing himself as Lord Almighty in, his, in a conversation with Abraham and his wife Sarah. Meaning, he showed himself and said that I have the power to keep my promises and to bring about my purposes in your lives. And specifically for them, the purpose was that they would have a son even though Abraham was 99 and Sarah was 89 years old, respectively. And he was, they were told and promised that nations would come from this son. Kings of nations would come through this son. And then in chapter 21, that son, Isaac, is in fact born. And so when we step into chapter 22, it gets more, a little more confusing. Because here in the story we read today, God gives three words of command. Take, go, and sacrifice. Take your son, your only son, the son I gave you, Isaac, the one that you love. Go to the mountain that I'm going to show you and sacrifice him there on an altar. And one of the staggering things about this story is Abraham's instant obedience. He left the next morning. How could he have obeyed like that? And there's no sign of argument, no sign of question, no sign of pushback. And when I think about it, I'm just, I'm not sure I have that in me. You may feel the same. How could it be possible that he would obey that immediately? 
And I think one, one reason for that is that Abraham had absolute confidence. He had no doubt that he had heard, and specifically that he had heard from God, that, that it was no doubt in his mind. We talked about this passage in our staff meeting this week, and, and someone raised the, the question of, or the, the point that, I'm not sure I would have trusted that I heard correctly. I would have thought maybe this is my own voice. This is some other voice whispering in my ear. Maybe it wasn't God in the first place. But Abraham has no doubt that this is God's voice. See, he had become familiar with God's voice over time. He knew God's presence. And so when he heard God give this command, then he knew it was from God. And so it merited his obedience, as difficult as the command may have been. And I think one of the things this story does for us this morning is it invites us to reflect on the question, do you know God's voice that well? Do I know God's voice that well? That I can pick it out from all of the noise that's happening in our very, very busy lives? Would I have the confidence that if I heard a command, maybe not exactly like this, but a command that is challenging, maybe one that I don't actually like, I don't want to actually do what I have confidence, even if I don't like the command, that if it came from God, I would be confident enough to do it. I mean, if not, I think the invitation to us is to spend more time with the Lord. Jesus says, actually, I am the good shepherd, and my sheep know my name. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, that you can actually get to know his voice such that you can pick it out of the crowd. You can learn to follow him, but it requires us to be available. I mean, just think about how you came to know and have come to know any of the voices of people that you care about in your life. It took time, repetition, hearing their voice, knowing their voice, and the same is true in our relationship with God, consistently needing to listen. It's why we come back over and over again to the encouragement to spend time in the Bible, reading it for yourself, not just on the weekends when we're gathered in worship, because we're told it is the Word of God, His voice speaking into our lives. And if you don't know where to start, let's have a conversation. I'd love to get you started. To immerse yourself in the Word of God with other people in groups so you can learn how have they come to hear the voice of God speaking into their life. I mean, to listen in prayer. See, prayer is an amazing two-way conversation. I think we often think of it as this one way where we're just blasting God with all of the words that we can come up with, and the most flowery, the better, right? But actually, prayer is a two-way conversation where we can actually be sitting still, not saying anything, not even thinking anything in particular, and still be in deep prayer if we're listening for the voice of God. Abraham had the absolute confidence that he had heard the voice of God and it merited his obedience. I think the other reason he was able to instantly obey was that he had complete faith that not just he, but he and Isaac would return from this trip. See, and it wasn't promised in what we read today, was it? All God said was, go sacrifice your son. And yet, in verse 5, Abraham says to his servants, hey, you all stay here with the donkeys. You guys hang out. We're going to go over that mountain. We're going to worship. And then we will come back to you. We will come back. Not I will come back. I mean, what, what incredible faith. 
He had a faith that this story doesn't end with the sacrifice, that God had something on the other side of the sacrifice in store, even though God hadn't told him what the other side was going to look like. And yet he still obeyed. Man, I think about that. That's so hard. I think that I can actually endure a lot if I know that there is a time frame, like if there's an expiration point. I think actually as humans, we, we really can endure all sorts of trial and pain and suffering if we know that it's going to come to an end, and if we know when that end is. We have hope that there is an end. But see, God hadn't given Abraham that particular hope in this situation. He hadn't told him what the end was going to look like and what the other side would be. But he had promised that through Isaac, nations would come. And so Abraham has to reconcile, go sacrifice your son with nations and kings of nations will come from him. And so he reasoned, somehow they're both coming back. That God will provide the lamb. And in fact, that's compelling enough that he moves forward. Actually, the writers in the New Testament interpret Abraham's faith in this situation as a trust that if it came to it, God could raise the dead. And so Abraham believed that even if the sacrifice happened, God would raise Isaac and they would both return. That God would provide. And so he builds the altar Binds his son, raises the knife, ready to slay him, to follow through with the command. I mean, what a depth of conviction. But it was a conviction that out of his obedience, God was going to do something that he didn't understand that the the sacrifice wasn't the end. And I wonder if we had that same faith, that same conviction, if we wouldn't be able to move through life without getting so overwhelmed without becoming so, without being overcome by the trials, the tests, the pain, the struggle, even when we don't know how long it's going to last, if we had a faith that that wasn't the end of the story. But God provides the lamb. The angel speaks from heaven, stop, Abraham, stop. Now I know that you fear God. In other words, Abraham, your highest priority, it's been shown Your highest priority is to live your life in alignment with God's commands and his priorities and his promises for you. See, that's what it means to fear God. It doesn't mean to tremble in the corner as if God's going to strike you with lightning at any given moment. It means that the most important thing in your life is to follow after his commands, his priorities, his values, his principles, and to put everything else aside if that's what it requires, even if it doesn't make sense even if it doesn't align with our desires, our hopes, our dreams. It's his hopes, his desires, his dreams. And so God provides the lamb. Isaac is saved. Jehovah Jireh has shown up. The Lord will provide. But I think we struggle when it comes to applying this to our lives for a number of reasons. But one of those reasons is I think it's because in this story, We discover that, yes, the Lord will provide, but not necessarily provide what I want. Not how I want it, not when I want it, but he will always provide what I need, especially what I need to obey and follow him. And I'll tell you what, this this is what I didn't really understand 
as a child as we sang that song at camp. You know, I, I thought that, oh, God will provide. Everything's going to work out. It's going to be easy from here. If God just provides everything, then I have nothing to worry about. And yes, ultimately, God will take care of us. But what if, what if it's not going to be easy? What if actually the context in which we discover in our lives and we experience the reality that the Lord will provide is in the context of testing and trial? What if it's only when we come to a place that is beyond our understanding, beyond our control, beyond our ability to manipulate and bargain our way out of? What if it's only in that place of total desperation and total surrender that we discover the Lord will provide? I think that's part of what this story is pushing us to, is to step out into those places where unless God does provide, we find ourselves in real trouble. And God will provide. He will provide our, our physical provision. He promises it over and over again throughout Scripture. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 tells us not to worry about that stuff. Don't worry about your basic needs, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. Because he says your father knows that you need those things. He's going to provide those things for you. Don't worry about it. Instead, you, what you focus on is seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. Don't worry about those basic needs. Worry about what he wants to do in your life, through your life, to bring his kingdom into the world, to live by faith. But the problem is, the kingdom doesn't come easy. The kingdom of God is radically different than the world that we live in. And so it, it requires us to take risks, to step out of our comfort zone to do things that actually don't even make sense, to die to ourselves, to lay down our priorities, our principles, and to take up his, to let go of the bitterness and be radically forgiving, to seek peace, to, to make peace, to seek justice, to be those who will bridge the divides that seem to be growing within our society rather than being those who cast stones from afar, but to be those who are working a radically alternative way of living. See, the kingdom of God is not about establishing a political world order that is governed and legislates all morality. The kingdom of God is an alternative way of living in the midst of a world that is falling apart, is desperate for is there another way because when we look around, things don't seem to be working out very well. The kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God live that kind of radical life of hospitality, of sacrificial love, and all of these things will be provided for you. But often to live as kingdom people, it tests us. It tests our faith. It's, God makes demands of us. And that's actually what this, this entire encounter is framed. In verse 1, it tells us that God was testing Abraham. He was testing him. And I think if we're honest, we're a little uncomfortable with that. I think we're uncomfortable with a God who would test us. We're, we're fine with a God who will provide for us, who will take care of us, who will make us feel better. But a God who will test us? Oh, I don't think so. And, and why is that? I mean, I think part of it's probably because we just don't like tests, do we? I mean, but I was thinking about this this week, and I was, do we really not like tests? Because if you think about it, if you were facing a test that you knew for sure that you were going to pass with flying colors, you knew that you were going to just, it was going to be awesome, would you hate that test? Would it be, would it be okay? 
See, I think, I think we'd actually be okay with that because it gives us the chance to perform. It gives us the chance to feel great. I think the problem with tests is that we don't like failing. We don't like being exposed. We don't like to be found lacking. We don't want to be embarrassed. And the test can do that. But tests can be helpful in our lives, can't they? If we think about it, we have all sorts of ways that tests are helpful. Think about medical tests in your lives. If your body fails a medical test, is that not helpful? Isn't it? Is that not really helpful to know that there's something wrong and that that failed test is actually the first step toward your healing, toward your wholeness? That test is helpful whether you passed or failed. Think about school. Think about your math test. If you fail your math test, that's helpful. It's helpful in assessing how much knowledge have you been able to take in? How much do you actually understand? It might be helpful in you realizing, you know what? Maybe you shouldn't pursue math. You should probably go to English. It could be helpful. Tests can be very helpful because they can be a part of our growth, part of our improvement. But they also can reveal some things in us that are significant. And we think about this, and okay, I'm, I'm buying in a little bit on the test can be good, but this test that God puts Abraham through, this is, this is high stakes. This is ridiculous. I mean, does it have to be that? I mean, isn't child sacrifice wrong? How could God make that request? And I think another question, though, to go alongside that is, how else... How else would Abraham prove his complete and total trust in God, in God's promises, if there was not a test that required his complete and total trust? And sure, it probably could have happened a different way, or could it? He was 99. The most precious thing in his life was his legacy, and his son was in fact that legacy. See, I think at times, God tests us because he knows in reality the things that we hold most dear. He knows the things that we're clinging to for security, for confidence, for life, and he wants to reveal those things to us so that we can have a shift in our heart and our soul where we're relying and trusting in him alone, where he is our greatest priority, where we receive from him all that we need for life. Jesus has an encounter with a a young man who is wealthy, and the young man comes to Jesus, and he says, all right, teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says back to him, obey the commands. Okay, which ones? And so Jesus gives him a a list. He says, "Do do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man says, all right, I've done all these things. What else do I lack? And Jesus looked at him, and he said, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. See, Jesus knew that at the core of this man, it was his money, it was his wealth that was giving him confidence, giving him, it, he was trusting that his money was, was going to provide life for him. And Jesus was saying, here's the test. Will you give that away? Will you give whatever you're holding on to so that you can receive that God, the Lord, will provide? He is your source of satisfaction, security, confidence, meaning, purpose. Man, but we don't like tests because those tests in our lives will often reveal where we're lacking. 
and reveal how maybe our trust is not in the Lord who will provide. And how can God ask Abraham to sacrifice his son anyway? I think part of the answer is because God was not asking Abraham to do anything that God was not willing to do himself. See, actually, God knows that we're going to fail those tests over and over again. God's gonna, God knows that what's going to be exposed and revealed in me is not a total, complete faith and trust in Him and Him alone. He's, he knows that what's going to be revealed in me is not pretty, that I will fail the test over and over again. And it's at that point that God carried out the very command that He had given to Abraham. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, there was another son, another only son, another beloved son. John, 1 John, that we read earlier, said it was God's son, God's one and only son, who was sent from heaven to earth. And that son, just like Isaac carried his own wood up a mountain where he would be sacrificed on that wood, Jesus the Son carried his own wooden cross on his back up a mountain outside of town where he knew he would be sacrificed. And where Isaac was spared, Jesus was not. See, Isaac was saved because the lamb was slain. Jesus was the lamb. He was the lamb that would take away the sin of the world. He was the atoning sacrifice. He was the one that died in our place. As we fail over and over again the tests that God has before us, rather than being punished for the reality of our failure, instead there is grace and there is mercy offered to us because Jesus is the lamb that died in our place so that we can live. He has provided Everything that we need to live real life, full life, to live lives that are able to endure and live through the trial and the tests. That Jesus died as the Lord who will provide everything that you need to follow him, even when the command seems absurd, seems risky, seems hard, even when the command is to go and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He will provide everything that you need to give your life away to let go of the bitterness and forgive. He will, let, he will give you everything you need to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, to be radically generous with your possessions, with your time. He will give you everything that you need to seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and to follow after him so that you will pass not just the test, but that you will draw close to him and know him more deeply. But you might find that you'll only discover that he will provide right there out on the edge of what you think you're capable of. So what is he calling you into so that he can show up as the Lord who will provide? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word that speaks into our lives, into the reality of today. We thank you that when we, we fail to take those risks of faith, when we fail to, to speak boldly in your name, when we fail to stand up for what is good and right and beautiful, when we fail to represent your heart for the world, when we fail to forgive, when we fail in all sorts of ways that ultimately 
there is grace and there is mercy. That Jesus was the lamb that stepped into our place, into our failure, that died so that we could live. Lord, may we receive that new life. May we receive what you provide today so that we can step out in boldness and in faith, that we can be those who will represent you and your kingdom in the world. Help us to hold fast to you, to have complete trust in you alone. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.